Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, September 28th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 151, starting with the last paragraph, now and then a serious drinker. Today's readers are Kim G., Lisa H., and Devorah S. The reference number for Tuesday, September 27th is 9116. Away preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position. Uh, Somebody is unmuted. Just want to let you know. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lydia S. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, visionaries. It's Lydia, living in recovery in Fort Worth, Texas. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, Julia. Thank you, Lydia S. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, 
to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 151, the last paragraph, now and then a serious drinker. I will now ask Kim G. to begin reading. Good morning, Julie. Now and then, a serious drinker, being dry at the moment, says, I don't miss it at all, feel better, work better, having a better time. As ex-problem drinkers, we smile at such a sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take a half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday, he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. Oh, what a powerful paragraph. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. Being dry at the moment. So that's talking about treating just the allergy of the body. You know, I remember so often hearing in meetings, you know, abstinence makes me feel better. Nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. And there is some validity in that. There is a freedom from the allergy not being triggered. I mean, for me personally, I sleep a little bit better. My stomach's not as distressed. I start to understand people and process them because I'm not in that food fog. But as soon as that's done, 
you know, what is, what do I, how do I feel better? I feel anger better. I feel depression better. I feel anxiety better. You know, so often I, ha- I get phone calls or in my home group, someone's two, three, four weeks abstinent, and they're telling me they're crawling out of their skin. And I simply tell them, welcome to your disease. Welcome to untreated alcoholism. Welcome to just being dry. You know, I remember being at a meeting and this girl was getting a 30-day coin and her sponsor was saying what a good sponsee she was. And she was saying, yeah, she makes her phone calls, she commits her food, she does her daily reading, all the tools. And the woman meekly got up there and accepted the coin and said, I'm really embarrassed to take this. I've been over as anonymous for 10 years. I have so many 30-day coins, but I've never gotten a 60-day coin. Why is that? Because we're treating only the allergy. We're not treating the mental obsession. This page is telling me, what's, if I'm the compulsive overeater of the type in here, this is my destiny if I don't treat the larger aspect of my disease, the mental obsession with the steps. You know, we often hear about hitting bottom. We think that's a physical thing. You know, it might be, you know, once I'm, you know, when I'm 100 pounds overweight, I'm going to do something about this. Or maybe when I throw up more than 10 times a day, I'm going to do something about this. Or maybe it's when I'm only, when I'm 40 pounds underweight, I'm going to do something about this. But the bottom that they're describing here, which is the bottom I, I experienced, is not a physical bottom. It's an emotional bottom. It's a spiritual bottom. It's an absolute bankruptcy where you are inwardly give anything to get to beat the old game again. You know, you can't get drunk and you can't get sober. It's the most painful place to be. It's that jumping off point when we're finally going to be willing to put down the food and reach towards those steps. And for me personally, I didn't see it until I, until I was recovered. So my personal bottom is I, I am, have a broken ankle and the most pain I've ever been in. And I'm laying in bed saying, screw it, I'm going to pee in the bed because I can't, the thought of going up and going to the bathroom is so painful, I don't care. But 15 minutes later... I want some pasta. So I get out of bed, use my walker, walk past my, ba- my bathroom to go into the kitchen and let my leg dangle, which is the most painful part that I had, to boil pasta for 10 minutes. And it was at that moment I knew I would do anything for food. And at that point, I was teachable. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Larry? Larry Kay. Janice M. Janice this is M. Bella. Can I share? Bella. Paragraph, are we on? Vasa O. Vasa O. You guys are being so good. Anybody else? All right. Well, we're going to start with Larry K., Janice M., Bella, and Vasa O. So, Larry K., go ahead. Uh, thanks for your service, um, Larry, uh, compulsive, recovered compulsive reader. You know, what Kim said is so true about, you know, and we hear it all the time, right? We, we hear, we, we drill this. Why, why do we drill this, uh, this, you know, enough already about the allergy and the obsession? And, you know, the thing about it is, for me, I heard words similar to what Kim shared for years in program. The problem was is I didn't accept that there was an obsession of the mind. The allergy, I knew that, you know, allergy, however you wanted to find it, I knew I had a problem with food. You probably do too if you're still suffering this disease. You know, you wouldn't be here if you didn't accept that your, 
you know, perhaps your life's unmanageable and that the food certainly has control over you. But I did not accept what Kim was talking about that was so clearly articulated in the doctor's opinion and beyond in this big book about this notion of, of an obsession of the mind. I didn't accept that. I didn't accept that. Now, had you talked to me and said, do you accept it? I, I was so oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, I didn't, I had never experienced the obsession, what you guys were calling the obsession since 1939, actually. I never experienced that obsession being lifted. Thus, I never, I never accepted there was an obsession. Because it hadn't been lifted for me, I wasn't even sure that there was one. And frankly, I don't think there was, you know, is kind of where my mindset was. And as long as I didn't accept that, I'm going to continue to do just what Kim articulated, which is I'm going to try to control this somehow, some way with the paradigm that I always had, which was, you know, diet, more control, more control. Because I didn't accept that there could be an obsession that could be lifted by some power outside myself. That was craziness for a guy like me. What are you talking about? Where's the science in that? And then someone said, oh, buddy, this isn't about science. Has nothing to do with science. And if that's where you're at, because that's where I was quite a few years ago, but that's where I was, then you're going to have to accept it. You're going to have to accept it and trust it as an article of faith that I believe it or that Kim believes it or that someone else believes it because it's true. Because guess what? Kim is not owned by the obsession. I don't, I don't know, but it sure seems that way. And guess what? I'm not either. The obsession was real and it was removed on my behalf and I had to work some steps and that's what resulted in the obsession being lifted. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Janice M., you're next. Yes, good morning, Julie, to you. My name is Janice M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Love this paragraph, too, because it's all about labeling the disease, my disease, as a liar. Lie, 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 lie. That's all I see in here. Now and then, a serious drinker. Okay, yeah, serious real compulsive overeater. Yeah, I would be abstinent thousands of times, okay? And I used to say, oh, everything is great. Everything is wonderful. You know, I would say, I don't miss it at all. Well, that's the first lie. That's the first lie. Um, uh, Of course I missed it. (laughs) With being just abstinent, of course I missed it. Uh, You know, it would take uh, the time, of course, between – not relapses, between picking it up, would get shorter and shorter. And, uh, you know, if I was whistling in the dark, I don't know anybody that can whistle in the dark and be happy. Uh, That's another lie. You know, uh, fools himself. Oh, my God. I said, see, see, I'm okay as I was in self-pity when I was at a wedding and I couldn't have it and I was mad at you and I was mad at him. Um, and I was angry because you could eat it, and why are you eating it and cooking it in front of me? Um, that's how I was. That's how I was. That's disease. That's how I was disease. I would give anything to have a taste of my allergic foods and get away with it and not have it, not have it increase my allergy, not have it started. It's like a dog that's asleep. 
you know, I couldn't keep asleep. The allergy would be um, activated again. So, yeah, I wasn't happy about my sobriety very momentarily. You know, it was just a matter of time when I would pick it up again because that obsession in my mind was so powerful. The disease was so powerful that it drove me to pick up another bite because I was restless. I was irritable. I was discontented. And, uh, yeah, then I was lonely. And, boy, there was many a times, you know, I, I wanted to have this done, that done to my teeth or whatever. And uh, I know it wouldn't work because I had that obsession. I'd have to have an operation on my mind. So this is a defensive response. Oh, I'm going to smile, you know, smile like a Sally. You know, quick-witted witted response from a defensive position. I was always defending myself. Oh, I'm okay. Lie, lie, lie. Full of dishonesty. And uh, as a recovered person, it says as the ex-problem drinker knows that he's lying <laughs> because we've been there and done that. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. And I'd like to remind everybody to remain muted because there is an echo. So, Bella G., go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G., and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a powerful paragraph. We smile at such a sally. Yes, now I can smile, but not before. Before program, I live in a lie, and the problem was that I believed those lies. I lived in a mask, and I believed that I lived the real life. You know, I did so many kind of diets, and I believed that, you know, my problem is my weight. And I didn't know that I have an allergy in the body, a physical problem, and I have also an obsession in the mind. So I treated my allergy. So it was wonderful. I didn't eat this and I didn't eat that. And I really lost weight. But I was never happy. And I didn't understand why. And like like people share today, yes, I said, I didn't need, I don't need it. And it's okay. And it's okay for me not to eat all those things. I don't need it. I don't. It's not for me anymore, but it's not, it wasn't the truth. And I was miserable. I was jealous at everybody, at the whole entire world, that everybody can eat normally and nothing happened to them. So most probably something is wrong with me. So if something is wrong with me, I didn't want to be with people to see that somebody, something is wrong with me. So I was always lonely and I wasn't, I, I, I was unhappy. And it's not true to say, oh, I don't miss it at all. My life was, you know, I didn't like my life. I was living, but I was dead. I was really dead. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And now that I am in the program and I live the 12 steps one day at a time, Yes, I am connected to a loving, accepting power that I called him God. And I am not connected to my ego. It doesn't mean that I am perfect. It doesn't mean that 
I don't struggle. It doesn't mean that I have all the answers all the time, every day. It means that I am human and I have my character defects. And yes, today I accept that I have a physical allergy and also an obsession on the mind and a blockage in my spirit. And this is the 12 steps that give me all the tools to work on all the levels of my disease. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. And Vasa O, you're next. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Julie, for your service. And I am a grateful recovering compulsive overeater, recovered compulsive overeater calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I had no clue. I had no clue when I came to this program what was wrong with me. I knew I could not stop eating, but I didn't know they called it food addiction. I mean, this was like 30 years ago. Or maybe I heard it. Yes, I read in Dear Abby um, that people had struggled, had, been stru- had struggled with food. They could go to OA. But in those days, I thought I needed to really be really obese. I was maybe like only 10 pounds overweight or 15 pounds. It, for me, it was a progressive, progressive, you know. And um, by the time I found the program, I was ready to admit, you know, because I wanted to stop. I did go on those diets, you know, off and on before I came to program. And uh, and this is a great paragraph. Anyways, every paragraph is great for me because I can identify with them. And um, so when I used to go on those diets, it was like being dry drunk, you know, um, before I surrendered. I'd go on a diet, and of course, I'd miss it, you know, within two or three days or a week, you know. The mental obsession always went back. Oh, you can have only one. You're going to be fine. I didn't know those were lies, you know, and I didn't know it was a disease. I didn't know it was a physical, emotional, spiritual, and I wanted, I came for the vanity. I, I just wanted to lose the weight, but I remember my sponsor saying, if you don't follow the directions in the big book, if you don't do the steps that were laid out, you're going to go back into it. And I was ready and I was willing, no matter how much I missed it at the beginning, I wanted to eat so bad. I wanted to throw myself on the floor and cry like a baby. I want my food. I want my fix, you know. It was like, I, I'm looking back, with a drug, you know. But she said, no matter what, no matter what you're going through, you pray to God, you you know, you call, make the phone call, you go to a meeting. I remember going to sleep at nighttime, early in the evening, so I wouldn't think of the food. But gradually working the steps, the way they're laid out, not putting them, my, you know, my allergic, allergic foods into my body, the mental obsession started going, going away. And again, with the food, I didn't know it was physical, emotional, spiritual, so the steps take care of every part, you know, the physical, emotional, spiritual, the obsession, you know, and I'm just so grateful that I have found the solution to my problem. I have a smile today, you know. I'm not depressed. I don't have um, anxieties today. And I just want to share, I want to share my experience with other people. I It kills me, you know, it breaks my heart to see Hi. people I'll wrap it up. Struggling up with this food addiction. And we had two newcomers last night at the meeting, my Tuesday night meeting. And But I'm here just to remind me not to go back 
And we just tell tell them, keep coming. And we do the we're doing the big book. Thank you. Thank you, Bata O. Who else would like to share? Nessa R. Nessa R. Melissa Reba, C. Reva P. Reva P. Sherry E. Sherry E. Yes. Nancy, Nancy R. Nancy R. Okay, let's start with these five. Nessa R., Melissa C., Reva P., Sherry E., Nancy R. Go ahead, Nessa R. Um, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, I like the description here um, of, um, of somebody who is ready to do whatever it takes to recover. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Um, I came into the rooms um, 13 years ago, a little bit more Hold than 13 on years one, ago. Hold on one second, Sorry? Can we please have everybody hit star one to mute themselves so the speaker could be clear? Go ahead, Nessa R. Yeah, thank you. But I don't think I was at the jumping off point. I was still holding on to food. Ooh. And I even remember, I even remember one sponsor who told me that I was too attached to my bagel. And I thought she was off a rocker because I've seen people with all sorts of um, quote-unquote abstinence definitions um, that included bagels who were thin. Um, and I, until I recovered, I didn't realize how, how right she is. And now I, when I meet people either who are struggling, who are newcomers, who are relapsers or whatever, and ask me, don't you feel deprived? Um, it brings me back to that memory because when we feel deprived, I don't think we are ready um, to go to any lens. We are not ready to take certain steps. Um, what I tell them is always the same thing. Yes, I feel deprived. I feel deprived of 70 extra pounds. I feel deprived of, of anger, misery, and depression. I feel deprived of poor relationships. I feel deprived of getting winded, just going half a flight of stairs to the second story of my house. That's what I feel deprived of. Do I feel deprived now of not being able to eat my bagels? Absolutely not. Do I feel deprived of not being able to have, um, you know, sugar, flour, and all my other uh, trigger foods? Absolutely not. Um, but when we are still negotiating about the food, I guess we still have some more um, hurting to do, some more eating to do, and some more, more hurting to do, which was my case because I struggled for nine years inside the rooms until I was ready and willing to put the food down. And at that point, by the grace of God, I found a sponsor who took me to the steps and not only addressed the allergy of the body, but it also addressed the obsession of the mind. And, you know, this is the only disease where the patient has to diagnose himself or herself. Nobody else can do it. You know, until I decided, yes, I am a compulsive overeater, which means I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, which means I need a workable solution that includes abstinence, entire abstinence, and the working of the... the, the I'm sorry, Ms. R. Yes, there's somebody unmuted in the kitchen. If you could please mute your phone. Let's mute the line.
Am I, okay, Nessa. Am I back? Yes, am you're back, Nessa. Yes. Okay, thanks. Um, so until I admit that and decide that my solution has to include entire abstinence and the working of the 12 steps uh, precisely as outlined in the big book so I can um, get to the point where my sense and comfort comes from God and doing God's will and not from other things, there's, there's nothing really that can be done for me. Um, I got to decide to do that myself and I got to be at that jumping off point where I cannot imagine life either with the food or without the food. And by the grace of God, I got there and I passed. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. And Melissa C., you're next. Hi, good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone. I'm Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, the beginning of this paragraph is... um, it really describes when um, the thinking is that the food is the problem, you know, or the substance is the problem, and not recognizing that what's broken, what's really the problem, is inside, you know. And so that was me for so long. Um, my problems I always attributed to food, to weight, you know, to being overweight, and um, and in my mind, liking food too much. And so... I could go on a million diets, um, and, yeah, and then I would feel a little better. You know, I would feel a little powerful, you know, which is so dangerous. I'd I'd have, yeah, I would be um, food sober for a little bit, and so I wasn't activating the allergy, and so physically I felt better. But there was also a false sense, like, I got this. Not such a big deal. I got this. And... You know, every time that I said I got this, it got me, you know, and um, and I can recognize it in people that I work with, you know, and people that I've sponsored, whether, um, you know, I'm no longer, they no longer call, but it seems like, you know, I'm thinking about one person in particular who um, I haven't spoken with her in a long time, and last time I spoke with her, you know, I had urged her to get on her step work, you know, and, and because I know I've been there, and if you're, you're like, oh, no, I'm abstinent, it's good, I'm, and, and I'll get to the work, and I'll get to the work, and, you know, and so your the belief is that I got this, and, um, you know, and yeah, I haven't heard from her, because um, I, I'm thinking she's like me, you know, and um, I needed to be at the point where I couldn't stand another minute inside my body anymore. I couldn't stand the food. I couldn't stand eating the food anymore. And I couldn't stand the thought of not eating the food anymore. And I really felt screwed, you know, and, um, and I'm so grateful that I, that I got to that point where I felt that bad because, um, that's, you know, that's like an inside job. I mean, I, I love to be able to save the people around me, the people I love from that pain. And it would have been great if I could have possibly spared myself that too. But, you know, for for the real alcoholic, uh, for the real compulsive overeater, we're not the heavy drinker. We're not the heavy eater. Friendly warnings don't work. We need, I needed the pain of this addiction so that I reached that jumping off point. And, um, and then at that point, complete willingness to do whatever it takes to get myself recovered, to stop thinking that a new food plan was going to be the trick um, or a new sponsor was going to do it for me. It was 
work the steps, you know, leave your alcoholic foods aside and work the steps. And so, you know, when um, when people move in okay. and out of this program, okay, thank you. I'll just close up. You know, I think we just have to meet them with love and let the disease do the convincing. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Reva P., you're next. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Uh, this step really hits home to me the message that if I am a real compulsive overeater, not just a slightly uh, heavy eater, moderate eater, but the real compulsive overeater, um, if I have a twofold illness, then just addressing half of it or part of it, just the physical part, doesn't work, which makes total sense, but it's taken me years to really understand this. Um, So I don't need to just get to a physical bottom. So just looking at the scale and saying, oh my God, this is the number. I really should do something. Oh my God, my doctor has diagnosed me with all these conditions, really should do something. All that stuff is not going to work to motivate me to do what I need to do um, to address the other part of my disease. So I need to reach a spiritual bottom, emotional, spiritual, whatever I want to call it, where my whole morality is just licked. And I love how it says in the AA 12 and 12 that, you know, they know who we are. Few of us will sincerely try to practice the program unless we've hit bottom. And that's just the way it is. Um, so that's why abstinence only is not going to work, as other people have shared. So I have to get to the point where not only is the food intolerable, and I can't live with my body, my skin, but my life, my behavior, everything. I just do not want to, you know, I hit a bottom where I just didn't want to live. And that's where it says that's the turning point. That's the jumping off place. And that's our turning point where we stop and say this I can't go on. And I love again how it says in the 12 and 12, we perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. And you know how Bill says in his story, it's so dark before the dawn. And what I'm learning working with others is this is something I cannot teach somebody and I can't tell somebody. This is an experience that we all have to get to our own bottoms. And the big book describes people who've, you know, had real bottoms that were awful with prison and losing this and losing that, not such severe bottoms. Whatever it is for each individual, I have to get there. And I have to get there not just with the food, but with every defect of character before I'm really willing or entirely willing to have God remove it. It has to become so objectionable that I can't bear to go on. So I love it's really clear. Abstinence only is not going to work. Um, and um, with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Sherry E., you are next, followed by Nancy R. Sherry E., star one to unmute. This is Sherry E. from Atlanta. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you. Okay, this is Sherry E. from Atlanta currently in uh, Florida, and I'm compulsive overeater recovering one day at a time. Yeah, this is so, so, so true. This I never, ever understood 
this whole concept. I was abstinent. I had been abstinent for many years. I white-knuckled through seven years of abstinence. And upon, I did a relapse for three years. And upon my relapse, recovering from my relapse, I was, I was abstinent for about a month. And when all of a sudden I had a huge, huge, huge day at work, I was stressed out, I had all kinds of emotions, somebody pissed me off, I had all these emotions build up, and all of a sudden the obsession kicked in. It felt like somebody had just hit me with a ton of bricks. I was climbing the walls. I had no idea what was going on. All I could think about was eating. I thought I had this. I was like, I am abstinent. I am cool. I got this. I didn't know what was going on. I called a a recovered fellow, and she said, now is the time for you to do a 10th step, an 11th step, a 12th step. This is the time you're going to start living in 10, 11, and 12 like you always hear on the line. And I thought, nothing is going to replace eating a piece of cake right now. The feeling that I get from eating a piece of cake is not going to be fixed by doing a 10th, 11, and 12th step. She said, try it. And do a 10th step. If you have to do it six times a day, do this six, repeat this process six times a day. Do your 10th step. Give it away to somebody. Then you do your 11th step and do your 12th step. Help somebody else. Get out of Sherry. And when you get out of Sherry and you help somebody else, and then just do it. Try it. I did it. I tried it. I could not believe it actually worked. I thought there was nothing in the world that would replace the feeling of carrot cake that I got. And it worked. I could not believe it. And what I learned from that is that if you take away my food and you don't replace it with an adequate substitute, something that will comfort me as well as my food did, you are doomed. The obsession will come back. I am doomed. It's always going to come back. Always going to come back, and it's always going to make me go straight for the food. It's always going to call me and grab me, and like a magnet, it's going to drag me to the food. So I've got to replace it with something that's adequate, that will replace, that's something that will, that will give me that same feeling. And what do you know? The freaking, the freaking 12 steps work. 10, 11, and 12 every day is what keeps me sober and what keeps me abstinent. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sherry E. And Nancy R., you're next. Well, thank you. Good morning, everybody. I am Nancy R. I am truly a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I don't say that or take that lightly. Um, I I was reading, uh, as Bill sees it, a letter that he was, he'd written to someone who was a chronic slipper. And uh, that letter really resonated with me because it described me for so many years in the program. What he told the person was, uh, just keep coming back, you know, and I'm happy I did that. And I say that to anybody who's having problems because uh, one day, you know, something click, something will click, but if you stay away, you're doomed. I learned in this program that I have a three-pronged disease uh, that's fatal in nature. Uh, I have an allergy of the body. I have emotional, and I have a physical deficit. And I started using food at an early age to deal with those needs. So when I put them down, and I've known the universe abhors the void, that it's something that's got to fill that void, um, I would always go back to the food. 
you know, I uh, I use food uh, and self-will, and I practice a religion to fill those, uh, and, food, and food took care of all of those. But when the food was taken away, there's this big vacuum. So what what can I fill it with? And I I try I did I tried to fill it with OA with meetings and working the steps and calling my food in, but it wasn't strong enough. This disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and none of that was strong enough until I was fortunate enough to meet a sponsor that took me through the steps. And uh, obsession was expelled, but I constantly, I constantly. Daily, it's a daily reprieve, and daily I live in 10, 11, and 12 to fill that vacuum. And my God, uh, life is unbelievable. It's a life, like it says, beyond my wildest dreams. And so I'm just so grateful, and I wanted to share my gratitude this morning. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy R. And would anybody else like to share on this paragraph? This is Duel. Leah M. Duel, Leah M. Who was that that just said it? Judith R. Judith R. Anyone else? Okay, we'll start with Duel, Leah M, and Judith R. Go ahead, Du. Good morning. This is Duel, um, recover compulsive overeater from New York, and grateful to be here this morning. Um, you know, what, what I've heard this morning is, you know, that the disease, you know, once I go to the disease, um, I'm doomed. And that's right. But we need to be very clear of what is the disease. Because I heard some definitions this morning that do not line up with the big book. The big book says that we have a mental and a physical problem. So I heard spiritual, I heard uh, emotional, I heard uh, all sorts of different things, right? Um, We need to keep the message clear for the newcomer. It is a mental and physical. What is a mental? Mental, it encompasses my behaviors, my attitudes, my emotions. It encompasses everything because when it is from my mind, um, it, it, all those functions already go into the mind, right? So my problem is that if I perceive things differently, it's going to affect my attitudes. It's going to affect my behaviors. It's going to affect my emotions. It's going to affect my connectiveness with my higher power, right? Because I'm, I'm, I have a distorted thinking. I have a distorted way of seeing things. And it's cool having a mental obsession. I obsess over the food. The food becomes priority number one. Um, I can't see any other way but the food until I go through the steps. You know, I go through this process. Then there's the physical. The physical is physiologically. I'm affected bodily. You know, something happens to me in my body that once I ingest those particular, not all foods like some people think, those particular substances, I go off to the races, you know. And it's not until this disease beats me into a state of reasonableness that I need to find a way out. 
And the way out that the big book gives me is through the steps, is through this spiritual experience. And so I just wanted to put it out there because we need to keep it clear for the newcomer what we're dealing with. Because if I don't know what the problem is, I'm not going to move towards the solution. And then I'm not going to take the actions that are required to implement the solution to the problem. So, you know, it's, it's very important to understand that because we're dealing with a twofold disease, not threefold, not fourfold, not fivefold, twofold. And, um, and I just wanted to mention that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Duel and Leah M. You're next. Thank you so much for your service. He will presently try the old game again for he isn't happy about his sobriety. This is a paragraph about abstinence only. See, treating compulsive overeating with abstinence only is like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. The treatment is not adequate for the condition. Oh, Leah M. Here. Um, you see, I had numerous experiences with with abstinence only. I had stopped thousands of times. But you see, when I abstain from my binge foods, when I'm off of them for a while, I start to feel really uncomfortable. I start to feel impatient. I start to feel deprived. Uh, I start to feel jealous. I'm on edge. I'm restless. I'm irritable, I'm discontent, and those feelings begin to build up. Those thoughts begin to crowd my mind like monkey chatter. One incident after another incident, one conversation after another conversation, and these thoughts, these irritations, this restlessness, this irritability gets so loud that I have to shut it up. And the only way I know how to shut it up and get some relief is to pick up that first bite, which, of course, will trigger the allergy all over again. Now, this greater aspect of my disease, the big book calls the obsession of the mind. And that is the main problem with compulsive overeating. The allergy of the body, it is a bad problem. It's a bad problem. But I have a problem much worse than that. I have this obsession of the mind, which gives me permission, persuades me, convinces me to pick up that first bite over and over and over and over again. You see, compulsive overeating is not my problem. It actually was my solution. Binging kind of was the glue that held me together. How I felt when I was food sober, when I was abstinent, was my real problem. Because when I was abstinent, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. And I had to pick up again at some point. It might be months later, years later, days later, weeks later, but it was like holding my breath underwater. At some point, the pressure was going to build so much that I had to pick up, you know? The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous treat compulsive overeating. Because under the heavy anesthetic of compulsive overeating, there was numbness. There was a desperate attempt for me to alleviate the pain 
of life. I had a rough time living. And yet when the food was down, I no longer necessarily was a slave to the food, yet enslavement still threatens me. There was a, there's a place in the text that says, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. That's what the 12 steps attends to. Because I always believe food and weight were my problem. Food and weight are not my problem. Food and weight are symptoms of a problem. My real problem is fear, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment. And when I bring God into that equation through the application of these 12 steps, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't think that any way anymore. And I don't need to eat like that anyway anymore because I'm not plagued with the delusion of those character defects and that vision, which is so distorted and twisted. That's the purpose of the steps. That's the urgency of these 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah M. And Judith R., you're next. Star one to unmute. Thank okay. you. This is Judith R. Gracefully recovered in Vermont. Um, as ex-plob problem drinkers, we smile at such a Sally. And I thought Sally meant uh, just a going forth, but I decided to check it out, and it, it's much more specific. It means the action of rushing or bursting forth, especially a sortie of troops from a defensive position to attack the enemy. Um, or a sudden charge out of a besieged place against the enemy. So the food had become my enemy. The trouble was, and I knew that, but the trouble was the food would start talking to me and it would say, hey, baby, remember the good times we used to have? And I got to the point where I would say, yes, I remember the good times we used to have, and I remember that the last time we were together, you kicked me down the stairs and smooshed my face in the mud in front of all my friends. We are not speaking anymore. I had to tell my disease to go talk to my higher power because if I'm powerless over food, then food is more powerful than me, which is a really weird idea that an inanimate object that used to be alive is no longer alive and it has more power than I do, but it did. So I had to tell it. I, I did not have the power to talk to the food. So I had to tell the food, go talk to my higher power. We are not speaking anymore. So um, I no longer need to sally forth against the disease because my higher power has taken care of it. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Judith R. Charles and H. Charles H. Anyone else? We could take a couple more or one more. All right, Charles, let's start with you. Go ahead. Thank you, Julie, for your service. Charles H., a recovered composable reader. Um, he will be at the jumping off place. He will whisper the answer. Well, that's definitely not um, the case today. And, 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 you know, thanks for all the shares um, that I have heard this morning. Great share. Um, you know, I, I can remember being, you know, and I'm a type of dude, man. I, I'm a straight shooter, man. Um, you know, I can remember saying, you know, I miss pizza and I miss ketchup and I miss all that stuff, and I felt deprived. And even on the line, I could keep it real because I don't care about chips. I don't care about 
you know, I've got 100 years of abstinence. So what? You, you know, if, if, you know, the passion is there, right, but the humility wasn't. And, you know, falling back a little bit, you know, and, and really, you know, if, if, if I get on the line and say, you know, oh, I'm so spiritual, how spiritual is that? Let other people say that, Charles. You know what I mean? Like, like that World Convention really taught me a lot. I need to fall back, let other people do what they want. And, and, and I'm going to answer it now because y'all already know. Yes, I was resentful that we, for the second time, we skipped these three chapters that's so powerful that is the meaning of being recovered. Like, you know, to the wives, I love you, wife, she's right next to me, I love you, to the family after, and to my employers and my employees. But I, could, I, I, but I took it through the columns, and that's what being recovered is about. It's not about saying I'm Superman or Iron Man and, or you have to do this and you have to do that. Let people have their own um, spiritual experience, you know what I mean? And, and I finally, finally think God really see through because forget about the food. I could, you know, I could be a gold weight, right? I could have a thin body and a big old head, and I could, and I could be off balance. And I could fall just because of that. You know, so I'm here every day. I just want my humility to match my passion. And um, I, I don't wish for the end. I love these new beginnings every day that my higher power gives me. Because if I think I woke up on my own, abstinent, I might as well go back to sleep because I'm part of the walking dead. Deuces. Thank you, Charles H. Um, we have time for one more share. Would anybody like to share? All right. Well, I'll go ahead and share. Harlan G. Um, Ju- oh, Harlan G., go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Julie, for your service. Uh, Harlan G., compul- recovered compulsive old reader in Scottsdale, Arizona. From the time that I was a toddler, I got a signal from every single person in my life, whether they be adult or child, and that I am unacceptable because of the amount of food I eat and because I'm fat. And more than anything, I tried to acquiesce to the demands of the world around me and control the amount of food I ate because everyone told me that I would feel better, that if I didn't eat Milky Ways, I'd feel better. If I didn't eat so much food, I would feel better. And they were right. When I don't eat so much food, I feel anger better. I feel like killing myself better. I feel fear better. I feel lots of emotions much, much better. And I couldn't live in the food. And I couldn't live without the food. And so what I didn't want to do was live at all. Because I knew from the time I was five years old that this was not a life that I could live because the more I wanted to be thin, the more I ate and the fatter I got. It was like heading north and going south at the same time. It just doesn't work. What did I find out? I found out that food is not the problem. It's the solution to the problem. Because food does something for me that it doesn't seem to do for the normal eater. And that tingling sensation that goes through my brain when I'm eating a Milky Way bar is something that not everybody gets. 
So what was I going to do? I tried diets. I tried pills. I tried everything imaginable. For me, there's only one solution. The 12 steps as outlined in the big book of alcohol, of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. The only life I've ever had and the sweetest days I've ever known only came from working these steps out of this book this way as if my hair was on fire. If you're new and you can't put the food down, that food is probably doing something for you that it isn't doing for the normal person. If you are miserable, the food is doing something to you that you don't understand and you wish it didn't do, but you can't avoid it. There's a solution. It's in the book. Work the steps. It's the only way of life out of this hell. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. It is now time to close our meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lisa H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Lisa H., um, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Tennessee, currently in Florida. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.